welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Jeff Gaudet. Hey, Runners Connect fans. Welcome back to another podcast. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And if this is your multiple listen, thanks for having us back again. On today's show, we're going to be interviewing Ryan Warrenberg, who is the assistant coach at Zap Fitness, which is a training group for elite runners in the hills of Blowing Rock, North Carolina. Before jumping into coaching, Warrenberg was an elite athlete himself, winning the 2009 Club Cross Country Championships and finishing 7th at the USA National Championships in the steeple. Ryan is on our show today to share some of the wisdom he's accumulated over the years as an elite runner, a coach, working with adult runners, and as part of Zap Fitness's coaching of professional runners. In today's interview, Ryan is going to talk about how to intelligently increase your mileage to stay healthy and make long-term progress. You often hear and read about that it's important to increase mileage intelligently, but Ryan's going to share the details on exactly how he recommends you do it. Ryan's also going to talk about the hip injury that cut short his professional running career, and he's going to share the lessons he learned with his battle with injuries so that you can prevent yourself from making the same mistakes. Ryan's also going to dig into the mental side of training and racing as we discuss some of the insecurities and struggles that even elite athletes have after a bad workout or when they try to grasp the concept that training takes years. Uh, Before progressing with this interview, I do want to let you just a couple notes. Um, We will not be recording a podcast next week. Uh, This week is the weekend of the Boston Marathon, the day that we're publishing this. And as such, uh, we'll be pretty busy being based in Boston ourselves. We have 22 athletes on the Runners Connect team that are racing Boston. Um, So we'll be out meeting those athletes, um, conducting some clinics in the Boston area and uh, watching the race, of course. So not don't won't have quite so much time this week to put out a podcast. Uh, If you are in the Boston area, Definitely uh, reach out to me via email at jeff at runnersconnect.net if you listen to this before Marathon Monday, and I'll let you know where you can meet up with uh, the team Runners Connect. So now that with all that said, you can visit all the show notes, show notes for this episode at runnersconnect.net slash rc25. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the show. Hey, Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us on our podcast today. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. It's good to talk to you, and it's been a while. So yeah, absolutely. Always great talking to you. Um, so I gave the inter- uh, the audience a brief uh, introduction about you uh, in the opening, but let's tell the audience, uh, give the audience a little bit more background from you in your own words. Um, how did you start running? Uh, you know, what's what's been your progression from maybe you know college and professional and and kind of now and what you're working with now. Yeah, I, I, well, I guess first off, I grew up in a small town in Indiana, and then I went to school at Arizona State. And I came out of high school, like, I mean, for a big D1 school, like, relatively average. I mean, pretty on the good side of average. But um, in college, you know, I was, like, the guy kind of battling for a varsity spot. And by the end, you know, I was a two-time All-American in the steeplechase. So I progressed really well, you know, through college and um, was fortunate enough to, have the opportunity afterwards to actually run for Zap Fitness, um, where I now coach. Okay. And I did that for about four years, and injuries ended up kind of getting the best of, well, and injury, I should say. But, um, you know, I, I had my best finish probably the last year. I was seventh at the U.S. Championships in the steeplechase the last year that I competed um, professionally. So, mm-hmm. you know, despite the injuries, I was still able to run, you know, relatively well. 
uh, after college. So it was a fairly good, you know, progression. Really, I would say for the most part since I started running. So yeah. Um, and then, like I said, that was about three years ago, and and then I kind of turned my focus to to coaching. Okay. So let's go back to you know you mentioned in college that you had some pretty good progression, kind of coming mm-hmm. from a pretty decent, you know, high school runner to being a two-time All-American. Yep. Um, you know, what do you attribute, what do you attribute that progression to? Is there anything specific you can point to, or is there kind of a group of things? Um, you know, I think it was probably a, a number of things. Probably the number one thing was I didn't really, I had one minor hiccup in terms of, of being hurt in college, and really, for the most part, you know, it was years of, of strung together, healthy, consistent training, and, you know, kind of the typical... Um, increase in volume, increase in workload as I got older, and um, so the the performances reflected that a lot. But also, you know, coming to an environment where um, when I came in as an 18-year-old freshman, I was a, kind of low on the totem pole, and I was, you know, you you compete against guys who are already all Americans, and or you're on the team team with those guys, and so the expectation level is a lot different. The training um, certainly went to the next level when I went to college. Um, but really being around those people that were better than me and, and having them push me um, was was a huge um, advantage, not to mention, like I said, between that and I think just kind of the natural progression of increasing my mileage and staying healthy and mm-hmm. um, having a high level of expectation based on, you know, the coaching staff and, and my teammates around me. I think those were probably the, the biggest things. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we, if we were to look specifically at kind of like your mileage progression, um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it wasn't uh, linear, but, you know, were you kind of increasing a certain amount like each year? If you could go back and look and say like, oh, yeah, probably I was adding 10% a year to the total volumes, um, anything like that. Did you follow any type of progression or was it kind of... Um, yeah, no, I would say it was it was relatively relatively linear um you know i came out of high school probably running 50 to 55 miles a week at the most so my freshman year i i think i probably you know when i was at full bore you know the highest my highest level training i was probably running 65 to 70 miles a week and then you know my sophomore year um actually that year i was hurt in the in the summer so it was still in the 70 to 75 range and then my junior year i took a pretty good jump to about 90 um, my senior year, I got up, you know, between 95 and 100 pretty consistently. So it was a fairly steady progression. And, and like I said, you know, I think that was um, a, doing it in an intelligent way like that, I think, helped me stay healthy. But uh-huh. um, but it was part of that, part of being healthy is what allowed me to, I think, have the progression that I did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think that's a great point that I'm, that I'm sure you realize and, uh, you know, a lot of the audience that's listening to this podcast um, and, and I think one of the interesting things when, um, you know, tr- uh, runners who didn't run in college when they're, when they're training, like a lot of the athletes that we coach, um, they always wonder at like, oh my God, how did you run so many miles when you were training? How did you run 100 miles a week, 90 miles a week? And what they forget to realize is that, you know, it took probably 8 to 12 years to get to that point. You know, if you include starting as a freshman in high school, yep. four years of high school, four years of college. Um, so I think that's a great point for people that are listening to this podcast that, it can take for eight years to be able to build your mileage to the point where you're running 60, 70, 80 miles a week. It, and, and not that that has to happen, you know, based on your time availability, but building that, progressing that mileage is, is a long process. It doesn't happen within a couple of years. Sure, absolutely. And, yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, from the point that I started running, you know, it was probably eight to ten years before I was running 100 miles a week. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, not that it has to be exactly that, give or take, but... Um, but you're right, and I would say another thing, you know, for the people that are listening that we see, and I know we're going to get to this in a minute, but with a lot of the people that come through our doors at Zap, 
who are kind of the everyday runners, you know, families and, um, and full-time jobs and, you know, maybe their goal is to break five hours in the marathon or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, for, for me to say I'm running 100 miles a week and the amount of time that that takes versus, you know, somebody, you know, when you're going out for a 10-mile run and it's taking you 65 minutes, it's a little bit different than asking somebody to go out for a 10-mile run that, that takes them two hours. So I right. think that's probably something that, um, you know, is maybe worth mentioning as well. Yeah, exactly. I say, I say the same thing to other people too and when they say, how often do you run? Like, well, it only, it didn't, it, I think time-wise we're actually probably training for the same amount of time. So Exactly. Yeah. Um, another point that you kind of brought up was, you know, both at uh, Arizona State and, and actually probably when you went to Zap as well, you were always surrounded by people that were better than you, um, or maybe not necessarily better, but, you know, very talented in pushing those limits. Um, and I think that's something that people in this audience can really benefit from as well, because I think, you know, putting yourself in groups and in training situations that, you know, where you're, where you're, uh, you're striving for success. And, and I think also you're, you're believing about what you're able to do um, probably has a big impact. I'm sure when you went to when you went from Arizona State to Zap, you probably didn't think like, oh yeah, I could be the seventh best steepler in the country. Um, but surrounding yourself with people that are that are doing that exact same thing, I'm sure that provided a lot of confidence for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny you should say that because um, you hear a lot of stories about people who you know achieve great things in in any not just running but in any sport. And I'm not necessarily by any means putting myself on that that kind of level, but um, I think it's similar in the sense that you hear the story of, oh, yeah, I always knew I was going to be, you know, a professional runner. I always knew I was going to be an Olympian or whatever. And if you would ask me, you know, are you going to pursue running professionally, you know, when I was 18, 19, even, you know, 20 years old, I would have said, no, I mean, I'm, I want to be as good as I can in college, and that's probably the end of the road for me. And, mm -hmm. and so you're right, you know, being around athletes that I was around in college and having kind of that level of expectation um, – and that bar being raised for me, I think, opened up opened up doors and opportunities. But the point, uh, you know, translates, I think, as well to, you know, day to day, what can I accomplish um, in my next race or in my training? And, and that it did that for me, too, you know, um, seeing those guys succeed and, um, you know, having that guy next to you who, you know, maybe your friend goes and runs a 5K that you train with every day and you see, oh, wow, they ran X time. I didn't think that that was something that I could do. And now... You kind of, that door kind of opens up for you, and I definitely had that happen. Um, I would say through my college career, and even you know, even after I left college and, and uh, ran professionally for a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. I think taking I think taking limits off what you're able to do is a big component of running. And once you once you get over that fact of saying I can't do something or this is too hard, uh, it really it really opens yourself up to actually accomplish that goal. Um, yeah. So definitely a big component of it. Um, obviously, you mentioned you know earlier that a, a particular injury pretty much stopped your professional career. Um, what was that injury, and, and kind of what led up to it? Yeah, it's it's a, that's a very good question. I'll try to explain it as briefly as I can. But <laughs> um, I had a, a problem in my hip that probably was um, had a lot of components into it. But um, essentially, um, my hip is pretty dysfunctional in the way that it fires, and a lot of it has to do with my glutes not firing right and things compensating for it and I've got a lot of kind of scar tissue in that hip from so many years of, of fighting of my body compensating so well for um, you know it not working properly and I think that there's probably a neural component in there too where basically my leg kind of spasms 
um, when I get moving at a certain level, kind of like sort of an aerobic threshold level, um, it would kind of spasm out on me. So when it was at its worst, I had a hard time doing anything harder at all, really, without that acting up. And, um, you know, the first time I ever noticed it was uh, my senior track season in, in college, and I didn't know what it was. I just my leg kind of spasmed a little bit during a race, actually my 5k PR to this day, that race. And I thought, Oh, that's weird. And that was about it. And, you know, over time it gradually got worse and worse. And, um, you know, I think part of it is, is, you know, probably part of it is, is a little bit structural and part of it, um, was probably me neglecting some things, you know, those early warning signs that, um, I kind of shrugged off at the beginning instead of saying, Oh, well, let's take a look at this and see what's really going on. And, um, before before this turns into something potentially larger, and I mean, obviously hindsight's always twenty twenty, and it's always easy to look back and say, "Oh, that was the little thing that I should have paid attention to that mm -hmm. I didn't." Um, and we've all had those, you know. If you've been in the sport long enough, you've you've had plenty of situations like that. <laughs> that was the one that that was the nail in the coffin for me over over a period of time not being able to get that healthy. Yeah. So you mentioned in college, for the most part, other than that kind of weird spasm, you were pretty much healthy. You didn't really have yeah. any injuries. Um, was there anything that you were, were you doing like injury prevention work, you know, hip work, core work, that kind of stuff in college leading up to things? Or did you kind of just start that after you started to get hurt? Yeah, no, we did, um, you know, we had uh, a weight core strengthening program that we would do. Oh, it's kind of hard to remember now. Probably two to three. We'd be in the weight room, I think, with, with the track and cross-country team at least a couple of times a week, mm -hmm. you know, throughout the year. And then we had some supplemental core stuff that we did, some general strength stuff that we did, um, you know, another probably three or four times a week um, in addition to that. So we were doing quite a bit of that stuff. And, um, and I think that that probably was a component that, you know, did allow me to stay as, as healthy as I was for through, through that period of time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So... Um, you know, you mentioned now that you're, you know, doing some coaching at Zap. Um, let's actually, before we kind of get into, you know, who you're coaching and, and kind of how that works, um, let's tell people that haven't heard of Zap Fitness before, um, you know, what Zap is from the elite side of things as well as the, the camp uh, side of things. Yeah, sure. It's a pretty unique, um, it's a pretty unique thing that we have going on here in the mountains. And um, basically, we are a non-for-profit um, training center where we have um, really anywhere from 8 to 10 athletes that we support. Um, full-time where they don't have to work you know we provide them with a, a stipend a place to live um, health insurance um, you know food travel uh, gear gear and travel provided by Reebok um, and so you know they train like you know full that's their full-time job is, is to train train and, and race for us and um, the other part of what we do that's kind of the elite athlete end of things but there's a, there's a business component of that that allows us to support the athletes which is we have a 24 bed facility um, on site at zap which um, we host a variety of groups you know a lot of college you know cross country teams will come and do their preseason camps there and we also host adult running vacations during the summer which you know um, is probably the best way to describe it is is an is a summer camp for, for adults, sort of like a high school running camp, but we do it for adults where we put on lectures and take them running and um, a variety of things. And um, that, that, the revenue that we generate through the facility that way, along with private donations, um, provides us the funding that we need in order to support the athletes. Okay. So actually, let's talk a little bit about those running camps because I think they're like Disneyland for, like, for runners. You know, like you go and you spend the week living the life of an elite athlete. At least that's my take on it, having been to a couple camps, you know, and, and yeah. helping out. 
you know, you eat, sleep, and, and breathe running. Um, it's, it's really fun. So talk about it from, I guess, your perspective as well as, you know, obviously you've been doing it for quite a few years now, um, you know, kind of the stuff that goes on at the running camp. Yeah, and, and now being on, you know, staff where I'm actually giving the lectures and helping run the camp, but even as an athlete, um, all our athletes are on hand during the camp to help. You know, they'll be the um, athletes washing your dishes and cleaning up your beds or, you know, cleaning the beds after you leave and everything. But, no, we um, – um, it's a lot of fun. You know, for most people, they come and, you know, we do. We wake up and have breakfast and we go for a run and we come back and we might do – um, might have a lady come in and do a yoga routine or we might have a, a lecture on marathon training and we'll have lunch and um, maybe a trip into town. Blowing Rock's a really nice uh, vacation town and it's, it's beautiful in the summer and so some people may go into town for a little bit, go for a second run if they'd like, do some lectures in the afternoon, you know, anything from nutrition to strength training to marathon training to 5K, 10K training. Um, and then we have a guest speaker every week, you know, Bill Rogers has come every year that we've had camp. Dick Beardsley's been with us probably now for four or five years. Um, and then we have some other people that, you know, rotate in and do a really good job. And um, we've got a cook that, you know, comes and uh, does hot, hot lunch and hot dinner. And he's probably one of the, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but it's probably one of the, the things that people have to say the most about is how good the food is so i, I can uh, i can attest it is phenomenal yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah no I, I think for a lot of people it's a chance to you know get away from work get away from um you know their their families and their responsibilities there and and it's for a lot of people it's a vacation you know we have a lot of people that come back year after year uh -huh. who just enjoy the experience and um for some people you know it's a vacation but it's also a chance to learn a lot about how I can get better with my, my running and my training. And, you know, we always say at the beginning of camp, and I think it rings true for probably 98% of the people that come, is I want to come and have a good time and enjoy this experience, but I also want to get faster. And I think that's a goal for a lot of people, no matter what level you're at, is, is I want to get better, I want to stay healthier, you know, things like that. And so we provide them, I think, with a, a lot of really good resources uh, to be able to do that during their, their time with us at camp. Awesome. No, thanks for, for giving that. And, and I definitely recommend it. We'll talk more about it before we sign off on the podcast. But for anybody that's listening to this podcast, if they're looking for uh, a, a unique vacation for the summer, um, it's, it's absolutely one of the best things you can do. It's, it's phenomenal. The running in Moses Cone Park is easily my favorite, one of my favorite places in the, the world that I've been to, to run. Um, and it's really, really a great experience. But, um, but getting back to a little bit more training coaching stuff, um, so obviously you mentioned there's the elite side of things, um, you know, the 10, 10, 8 to 10 athletes that you guys have at the elite side. Um, so you're kind of familiar coaching the elite athletes, but you also have kind of private coaching, coaching more, you know, average adult runners who are trying to break four hours in the marathon, two hours in the half marathon, those types of goals. Um, what are some of the things that you feel like probably uh, overlap uh, between those two types of, uh, of athletes, even though they're so different in their, in their goals, in their, in their speeds, but I'm sure there's some overall training stuff that, that kind of overlaps. Sure. I would say, you know, I would say in terms of, I always kind of call it the X's and O's of training, kind of the, the theory behind it and, and what you're having people do in training and, and why, I would say a lot of that stuff overlaps. You know, one of the things that I probably, and one of the things that I see um, let me say this, one of the things maybe that's a little bit different, I think, is on the elite side, you're operating on probably a very fine 1% line of 
you know, if I'm 1% better, it's going to make a big difference in terms of where I stack up against other elite athletes. And so I don't do as much on that line as I do or with the my private coaching clients for the most part as I do with the elite athletes. But, you know, from, from my standpoint, you know, the biggest gains that, that any athlete will make, whether it's elite athletes or whether it's, um, you know, more um, average runners, are, is going to be on your, your aerobic end of things in terms of, you know, going out and, you know, we talked about building mileage and we talked about um, kind of that process. And for me, you know, even as an athlete, one thing that I learned about myself and from the athletes that I've worked with is, is that's where the biggest gains have been made, where I've been able to put in those chunks of, you know, pretty simple aerobic training that, you know, have elevated my fitness quite a bit and also allowed me to, um, you know, stay healthy, build that strength and, um, in the connective tissues and the musculature um, and develop the aerobic engine that really fuels some of the, the stuff that, you know, kind of the glory workouts that people really like to do, you know, uh -huh. get on the track and, you know, do some VO2 max type intervals or, or things like that. But really um, the foundation of what I do with the elite athletes versus what, what I do with the, my private coaching clients is very, very similar um, in terms of, like I said, just building that aerobic engine and building that, that base and, um, you know, most of the people that I work with, I would say, um, you know, let's take somebody who's maybe running 20 miles a week and they come to me and they say, you know, I want to train for this half marathon. And I might say, I think we can get you up to running, you know, maybe 30 to 35 miles a week. And I could give them no workouts and just say, just give them a progression in mileage. And, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to see improvement in that athlete. So, uh -huh. and I think that's a pretty universal, um, that's a pretty universal statement from, from what I've seen on both ends of, of things as far as coaching goes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, trick in, the trick of it is that it sounds pretty easy to go from 20 to 35 miles a week. And for some people it is, but obviously for some that it's actually quite a process in terms of getting them there healthy. Um, so it's obviously not quite as simple as it sounds, but I, but I agree with you that that uh, the progression from being able to go like 20 to 35 miles a week is going to be a huge uh, performance benefit for an athlete like that. Yeah, and that, I mean, again, just kind of an example off the top of my head, but, you know, another thing that I would do, like you said, there's people that, you know, there are some people who, you know, maybe structurally, um, you know, their body has a hard time handling the mileage, and, and you could even say, you know, we're going to get on the bike a couple of times a week, or we're going to do some kind of cross training, something to build that aerobic engine that maybe isn't um, the stress on the body that running is. And so, you know, sometimes that takes the place of when I talk about, you know, aerobic development, um, you know, in terms of, and maybe in terms of bridging the gap and saying, well, I'm running 20 miles a week now and I'm trying to get to 30 or 35 miles. How do I do that? And maybe we incorporate, you know, some cross training into that process to um, help kind of bridge the gap between where you're at and, and where you're trying to go in that regard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so, you know, obviously you've been, you know, really fortunate to be an elite athlete and, and to have been running for a long time and had a lot of different training experience, both training and kind of competition experiences. Um, would you say that there's anything in your, uh, I guess, as you progressed as a runner yourself, uh, that has really shaped how you approach, uh, both, you know, how you coach elite athletes and then obviously how you coach, um, kind of your more average adult runners? Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, like I mentioned before, one of the things, you know, the things that I saw the biggest gains from, and I think I mentioned to you before, you know, from my sophomore year to my junior year in college, I probably went from running 70 to 75 miles a week to about 90 miles a week and, you know, did it in an intelligent way. And 
not that I'm necessarily recommending that, but but the point is I increased that aerobic workload and you know increased my volume and I got a lot better for my sophomore year, my junior year, and and you know I'm sure there were other factors involved in that, but um, you know that's a bit that's been a big takeaway for me, and I think that um, any athlete that turns in, that becomes a coach, you're undeniably influenced by the people that have coached you, uh-huh. and and that's certainly the case with me in terms of you know our head coach here, Pete Ray, uh-huh. um, was a big influence on me, and you know as well as as the coaches I had along the way, and and all the all the philosophies were you know kind of um, versions of the same thing. So, uh, you know, that kind of, I guess you, you'd call it, you know, very literary influenced type of uh, coaching philosophy. But, uh-huh. you know, that was the kind of things that, or those were the kind of things, I suppose, that worked for me as an athlete. And, you know, I saw working for other athletes that, um, you know, I was teammates with or maybe that I knew for a variety of reasons. But uh, that was kind of the biggest takeaway, I think, from my competitive career um, to the coaching career. And, um, you know, even things like I would get in such good shape early in the season and run good marks. And you hear it a lot with, uh-huh. you hear athletes interviewed a lot. If, if you, you know, are, are paying attention to that sort of thing, well, they're, they're might be in the middle of the winter and they pop a huge 5k PR and they go, and I haven't even done any speed training yet. And then, <laughs> you know, they end up, that's the fastest time they run all year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not that that's necessarily you don't need to touch fast stuff if you're trying to run fast. I don't necessarily believe that. But um, you see it a lot where guys get in really good aerobic shape and go run the best times they've ever run. So that's something that always stuck with me was I haven't really done much in the sense of workouts, but look at how great a shape I'm already in. And so I try to um, carry that over as much as I can with, with the athletes that I coach. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I want to dig into something that you you kind of briefly mentioned, and, and this is going to be a difficult question. I didn't really prepare it for you, but you said um, you know that you increased your mileage intelligently from you know kind of between your sophomore and junior years from roughly seventy seventy five to ninety miles a week. Um, if if you could define intelligently, you know, in, in the sense of you know what do you th- or actually the better question is you know what do you think that looks like for an athlete to say we're going to increase your mileage intelligently? Yeah, and. <clears throat> My memory may fail me a little bit, so I might have said intelligently with my fingers <laughs> crossed behind my back. I'm not sure, but but no, I would say um, you know if you're looking at that kind of um, that kind of jump for an athlete, and I will say you're obviously if, if there's a difference between a 21 year old athlete and a, and a 51 year old athlete when you're talking about intelligently, I think sometimes, but um, and and your background in terms of your volume and how long you've been running. So there's a lot of variables I think you have to take into consideration. But, um, you know, I would say, uh, one, well, let me first say one of the things that I do with pretty much every athlete I coach, I think, is um, kind of the idea of two two higher mileage weeks and then followed by kind of a, a, a week where they dip a little bit in their volume. So mm-hmm. it might look something like, you know, if you're running 60 miles a week, you might have two weeks at 60 and then one week at 50. Uh, before you go back up. So I kind of look at things in terms of, you know, three-week cycles. But, um, you know, over the course of a year, I would probably say, if you're going from something like 70 miles a week to 90 miles a week, um, in college, it, it would probably look something like running, going from 70 to 80 over the course of your fall semester, and then maybe from 80 to 90 over you know, the first six to eight weeks of the spring semester, that that type of thing. So I would say that you hear that 10% rule a lot, uh-huh. and um, 
not that I, I don't know if I consciously implement that, but that's probably not terribly far off from, from the way that I actually do it when I'm doing it. And I would say the 10% rule is, is not a bad place to start. And, and I think you can probably afford to do that kind of on semi-annual basis, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that, I think, is just having been in the collegiate system and the high school system and where, where you're, everything's kind of broken up into a cross-country season in the fall and a track season in the spring. But that's sort of, in a lot of ways, sometimes how I break up the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's great advice, you know, obviously, especially the, the, the progression that you use with the three-week cycle, two weeks up, one week down. Um, and just in general, even though it is kind of in the college season, I think, you know, the way you approach things definitely applies, you know, all around uh, in the sense of, you know, looking yeah. at things kind of on an annual or for, you know, a lot of adult athletes do the marathon, half marathon kind of, you know, fall, spring. So it kind of naturally breaks things up a little bit. So definitely, definitely kind of good point. And, and great answer being as that I didn't compare, uh, prepare you at all. And you're right. There's a ton of variables. <laughs> it's like, it's like asking somebody how long is a piece of string, you know? <laughs> so, um, so for the, for the athletes that you work with, uh, you know, and the private coaching, what are some of the biggest training deficiencies that you see that they come in uh, when they begin working with you that you kind of feel like, as in general, that you have to address when you start working with people? Yeah, um, that's a good question. And I would say I hate to be ter terribly repetitive, but I think the, the biggest thing that I probably see is, you know, people who um, don't run a lot. And, and obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot is – uh, very relative mm -hmm. and, and can the range can be huge but um, who probably don't run a ton and probably run at too high of an intensity because of that mm -hmm. you know maybe they're going out the door you know three or four times a week and they're running three or four miles each time and they're running those those runs steadily and they're running them hard and every day looks kind of like the previous day mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> excuse me real no quick. problem but so I think adding adding a variance into that person's schedule, that's one of the biggest things I see is saying, well, let's make sure that these two or three days are very easy days where you could go out and we could have the conversation that we're having right now on your run mm -hmm. where you're not going out there and, you know, grabbing your ankles at the end of the run because you're exhausted. And, uh, you know, maybe we have a run in there that's a little bit longer than the rest of the runs, you know, for a long run. And so a lot of times I see that where the person says, yeah, I run four times a week and I run three to four miles every time and I run the same pace and I run the same loop. And so the deficiency there is, is you're not doing anything to vary your stimulus. So mm -hmm. you see it's very easy to get to a plateau there because there's no change in what you're doing and there's no development there. So that's probably one of the biggest things um, that I see uh, in terms of, of people that come to me for coaching. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, and, and especially, you know, we've, uh, you know, like I mentioned before, um, we started the show, but, you know, this is the 20, 25th episode of the podcast now, and um, I think probably on uh, 18 of the 25, we've talked about um, how most runners need to slow their easy runs down, um, yeah. and, and, I'm, and obviously you brought it up again. So even though it's repetitive, I think it's good for people to continue to hear, because even when you hear it, um, I know runners that, are, that I coach that I listen to every podcast that I've done, and still, you know, they'll report back to me, and they're like, oh, I crushed my easy run today, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, and it's um, funny because, like I said, we have people that come to camp, you know, year after year, and, and you know, I'll say that at camp during my lectures that make that point, and it'll be like their fourth year, and they'll go, oh, yeah, that's that makes sense, and I'm going, <laughs> ah, so yeah, no, I agree, 
you know, sometimes the repetition, it finally starts to seep in a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It takes a while. I mean, even as athletes ourselves, I mean, I know yeah. it took me until I was quite a ways into my professional running stint to uh, to actually slow my easy paces down. Um, and I'm sure you were quite the same way. So it's uh, it's not, we're, we're not immune to it ourselves. And it only just makes it easier for us as a coach to understand where people are coming from. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, actually kind of switching over now to kind of the elite side of things, um, what are some of the uh, concepts that elite athletes that, that you're coaching in, in the group, what are some of the di- most difficult, I guess, concepts or, uh, yeah, concepts that they, they either can't execute or, or find hard to grasp, as, as they, especially as they transition into the ZAP program? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, you know, you get or that you see um, with, with the elite athletes coming out of college is the idea of this might take a few years and um you know distance running is is a patient man's sport and you come out of college where you're running cross country and indoor track and outdoor track every year and uh so we're kind of conditioned i think to have a very short um attention span and a very short gratification span and so you know to to tell a kid that comes out of college and, and say, hey, this is going to take, you know, a few years for you to get to where you want to be potentially. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to improve along the way, but sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it, it, it kind of happens in sort of those stair step, that kind of stair step method where, um, you know, it takes time for the athlete to adjust the training and to develop. And so I think that that's really tough on people. And I would say a lot of the things or the, the couple of things that I was going to mention, um, are more things that people struggle struggle with internally, not necessarily physically, but it's that idea of being patient. And it's one thing to say it and hear it, and then it's another thing to experience it and, and deal with it. And the other thing that I would say is um, the concept of, of, you know, failure and being able to be not okay with losing or not okay with not performing well, but not let it be a consuming problem if I go out and I have a bad race or a bad workout. And, you know, some people that may be listening to this might be a little surprised to hear that some of the best athletes in this country and probably in the world um, are very, can be very fragile when it comes to their confidence. And, um, and that's, it's very true though. And, and, you know, things can be going great for weeks on end and somebody might have a bad workout and it's really hard to deal with that as an athlete. And, you know, I can say that, you know, that was probably true. I like to think I was, you know, really level-headed when I was an athlete, but um, it's hard not to get rattled by something if it doesn't go well. Uh Um, But, you know, having that confidence in in what you've done and the body of work that you've put in um, sometimes is easier said than done. So that's something that I think that athletes, you know, at at a very high level even can struggle with at times. Uh Yeah, those are two phenomenal points because I think, you know, they definitely apply to leave athletes, you know, basically having been in a lot of that situation myself. But I think they also apply to the everyday runner, especially the ones that I coach. And I know, um, especially if somebody signs on to work with you and says, okay, I want to qualify for the Boston Marathon and, you know, whatever, how much time they need to drop. And you say to them, this is going to take some, a lot, you know, a few years. You know, that's, that's a, a difficult concept. And some of them will say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, but then, you know, at their next marathon, it's, they, oh, well, we got to qualify for Boston, right? And it's like, no, this is, this is going to take years, you know? Um, so I definitely see it all the time with, with the runners that I coach and, and understanding that process. Um, and again, going back to the workouts, uh, you know, workouts or races going bad. I mean, that's, 
I, it's funny you mentioned, uh, you know, you like to think of your, yourself as an athlete that you didn't struggle with those. And I've looked back at my old, old logs of in college, especially in college and, and kind of the start of my professional career. And you would have thought I was suicidal, you know, like <laughs> have a bad workout and like ruin my weekend, you know. And, yeah. um, you know, obviously that's, you know, now that I've, now that I'm older now, actually I had a good experience. Um, I'll share with you that uh, we were at the Heptagonal Championships, the Ivy League Championships uh, in, in February. And I was talking with a lot of my uh, former teammates about the races and we were watching and we were having a great time just watching kids compete, you know, and, and really just enjoying that. And, you know, definitely going back and saying, man, I wish I could be back in college because this was so, so much fun. I mean, we were all saying to ourselves, you know, we wish we had just relaxed more about races and realized that it's just a race. You know, if, if it goes bad, you know, it's just, it's not the end of the world. Um, you know, I remember going into races being nervous for days and, you know, the day of the race just being, it just being a terrible day and, you know, realizing that it's still just a fun race. Um, and I think that's something that I think a lot of athletes, you know, whether they're professional or just, you know, trying to break four hours or qualify for Boston could really uh, use in their training in the, in the sense that, it's just a bad workout. They still have their family. There's families still there to support them, you know, those types of things. If it's a bad race, there's still another one down the road. It's not, not the end of the line. So those are, those are phenomenal points. I'm glad you brought them up and, and actually showed that they're not unique to, you know, the, the everyday runner, that the elite athletes suffer the exact same, uh, same situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, towards the end of my competitive career, I think I had a better a little bit better uh, grasp on this because, you know, I think a lot of people are the same way where they get just really nervous about it. And it's not necessarily having a little bit of nerves isn't a bad thing, I don't think. But, mm -hmm. you know, I kind of got to the end of my career and I like to say, you know, tell the athletes that I coach privately this is, you know, by the time you get to the starting line, by the time you get to, by the time you get to a week before your race, you're pretty much 98% done with everything that you can do. And the beauty of, of the sport, I think, in a lot of ways, is just the simplicity of it. Mm -hmm. And you get on a starting line, and, you know, I've done pretty much everything I can do. The only thing left is to go put one foot in front of the other the way that, you know, you and your coach talked about or whatever your plan is to execute. Mm -hmm. um, you just go do that. And it's going to hurt, but, you know, it, it, and if it, doesn't come, if it doesn't turn out great, then, you know, that's what it is on that day. And, and um, I remember, you know, having some bad performances and um, it was kind of a natural reaction, I think, for me. But and I don't know if you can attest to this or not, but, you know, I'd have sometimes I'd have a bad day and there's a big difference between having a bad day where, um, you know, you walk away and saying I gave it everything I had and it just didn't go well. Uh -huh. And I, I walk away from those situations, maybe a little bit upset, but pretty satisfied with if I put my best effort out there and it doesn't go well, then that's fine. And it's, it's a whole other thing to, to go out there and have it not go well and say, gosh, I wish I would have done X, Y, and Z better. I should have done things differently. Mm -hmm. uh, so I always tell people that, you know, if you go out there and run as hard as you can, and at the end of the day, that's a pretty simple thing to do, um, then, then it's all good, you know. So, um, and I think that kind of helps alleviate some of the tension, I think, going in. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And actually, anybody that's listening to the podcast that's running, you know, Boston, which is going to be next weekend at the time that we're recording this, um, you know, that's that's phenomenal advice going in because, you know, Boston's such a big race and it has so much hype that it can become bigger than the race itself. And for those athletes that are running, I'm um, a race, obviously, that, you know, as long as the only thing that you can control when you're out there is, is giving it your best effort. And if you do that, then, you know, you have to walk away satisfied and uh, and just work on improving for the next time. So, 
Um, so kind of along the same theme, I like to ask this question to pretty much all the guests that, that I have that, that used, to, used to run at a high level. Um, if you could go back to your younger self and, and give, give yourself some advice about training, uh, what would that be? Oh, um, yeah, that's another good question. I, you know, having been somebody who had their career cut short with an injury, I would say that, um, you know, taking better care of, of that, and again, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty. but I guess that's, that's the question. Um, <laughs> so I would say, you know, paying attention to that and, um, and doing what I could, um, rather than just kind of brushing it aside and hoping that it went away, of being really proactive, because I think it would have been something that had I not waited four years to deal with it or mm -hmm. uh, to really try to, to fix it, that it would have been something that was probably solvable, and I might still be running competitively right now. Mm -hmm. um, not that I don't love what I'm doing, but, um, you know, uh, it would be... It's always tough, I think, having having a career cut short for something that's kind of outside your control like that. So mm -hmm. that would be definitely the thing that I would go back and, and take better care of, of that situation uh, when it happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think universally it applies to uh, – we had a, a, a chiropractor on a couple weeks ago the show, and we talked a lot about how runners deal and, – and this, I guess, applies universally from your situation. They have an injury, and they just continue to run on it until – it gets to the point where they're talking about months of time off as opposed to if they just listen to their body, you know, right away and taking care of things like as soon as as soon as they notice trouble, you know, it would have been like a week or two issue um, or maybe even just a day or two. And uh, instead, it became something much longer than it, than it needed to be. And I was in the same boat as you. It just kept ignoring plantar fascia issues until finally it was like, that's it. <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's the the catch on that one too is that you know maybe eighty percent of the time you kind of run through and it does kind of work itself out and right. so you get into that mindset and you know you do that enough sooner or later it'll catch up to you in a in a bad way. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so so Ryan, you've been phenomenal. I want to give our audience a little bit uh, of information about how they can get in contact with with Zap. Um, the website is zapfitness.com. Yep, okay. zapfitness.com. So head to zapfitness.com. Um, you can check out all the elite athletes um, that are that are on the team. Actually, why don't you give us a quick rundown of kind of where some people are at and, uh, you know, maybe some of their, their quick goals for um, for the season coming up. Yeah, sure. Uh, speaking of the Boston Marathon, um, we have a woman running um, Boston, Alyssa McKaig, who uh, was eighth at the Olympic trials in the marathon last year. And um, she'll be running Boston a week from Monday, and, and she's in good shape, so, you know, we're excited about that. And We originally had another uh, woman, Esther Erb, who uh, also ran for us in the Olympic Marathon Trials and was seventh in Twin Cities in the fall. She was planning on running Boston, and due to just some little injuries and, and uh, some illnesses through the buildup, uh, she's not going to toe the line. So, um, you know, she'll probably get back to, to racing a little bit later in the spring, and, um Outside of that, for the most part, we've got a lot of people that will be running the track this spring. Mm -hmm. um, Tyler Pinnell, who uh, is a first-year athlete at Zap, he's, a, he's run 28-23 for 10K, and um, so he'll be running at the U.S. Championships. He's qualified uh, in June, but he'll be running um, some track races between now and then, mm -hmm. and um, along with uh, Cole Atkins, who... Um, Ran qualified for the U.S. Indoor Championships for us this this winter. Mm -hmm. He's run eight. He ran eight flat for three k. Um, and an interesting guy who actually played soccer in college and, and um, ran one year. Ran twenty nine twenty, and a year you know 
in track, and so he came and, and has been training with us since he graduated, and so we're excited to see um, you know him him put up some times this spring and. Um, Cameron Bean uh, is a steeplechaser for us who will, again, be going out. Uh, he'll be running, you know, some stuff on the track. He ran a 1,500-meter PR last week, and we'll uh-huh. be looking to run a, a steeple PR at the end of the month here um, out west and get to his first U.S. championship this spring. Um, Sarah Crouch, who uh, she's going to run the, the Cherry Blossom 10-miler this weekend, and she, along with her husband, Mike, um, who's also an athlete at his Apple B at the BAA 5K the okay. day before Boston, um, along with Cole. And um, and then a new addition, a, a, a woman who moved into town and, and is training with us, uh, Mary Ballinger, a steeplechaser, and she's going to open up this, this weekend at Dukes. So um, we're excited. Everybody's healthy, which, as you know, with a group of, hmm. of 8 to 10 people, um, anytime everybody's healthy and training well, uh, it's a pretty good situation. So we're looking forward to you know, some good performances this spring uh, based off of a really nice, you know, fall and winter of, of healthy training for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Well, good luck to all those athletes. Obviously, it sounds like you guys have people all over the place the next couple weekends, and yep. hopefully they all uh, do well. And, Ryan, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. This was a great interview, and um, I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Awesome.